you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, everyone. We certainly appreciate you guys coming by. Oh, my gosh. It's the big circus tent podcast in the sky with all the brilliant people, all the smart people, and uh, everyone is there, and I am none of the smart people. I'm just one of the dumb guys who's the host of the show, but we certainly appreciate being here. Uh, go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, youtube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, linkedin.com, Fortress Chris Foss. Check out the new AI podcast at aichrisfoss.com. Or, yeah, that's it. AI podcast with chrisfoss.com. And uh, also, uh, what, is, what the hell is the other one? Uh, Chris Foss Leadership Podcast.com as well. Anyway, we have an amazing uh, gentleman on the store uh, show to tell us his story about his journey as a military officer and uh, he's quite extraordinary in his what he's done he's i guess what they class a cdw so uh he was in the military for quite some time and he's got an amazing story in his book that has just come out um september 15th 2022 it's called razor three a night stalker's wars alan c mack joins us on the show today he's gonna be talking to us about his wonderful book he's an elite aviator war hero and author of the latest book that we just aforementioned uh the call to adventure was uh, persuasive and he moved up the ranks from aircraft mechanic to night stalker flight lead in the military uh his uh let's see he, he was flying mh-47 chinooks with a 160 soar over his 35 years in the army his experience and leadership put him at the forefront of his clandestine special operations some Still too classified to discuss in an open forum. Ooh, the man has secrets. Secrets, I say. Uh, his awards include the Legion of Merit, two distinguished flying crosses, 10 air medals, one with the V. Uh, we'll find out what that's about. I think that's about the TV series in the 90s, wasn't it? The V? Uh, no, no, I'm sure it wasn't. Uh, and he has a combat action badge. You know how many badges I have? None, because I suck. But he's awesome. So we have him on the show. He finished his military career as a commander of the West Point military academy's flight detachment before taking on public service in orange county new york serving as a deputy commissioner of emergency management welcome to the show alan how are you hey i'm great thanks for having me there you go well you're a highly decorated officer uh, thanks for joining us on the show give us your com so people can find you on the interwebs please yeah so it's pretty simple alancmac.com and that's a-l-a-n for alan so alancmac.com there you go. And just calm down there, Alan. Your, your, your energy is a little too high for the show. <laughs> I got him laughing there. He's, he's going, boys. Um, so, Alan, uh, what motivated you want to write this book? Uh, actually, the movie 12 Strong uh, oh. came out. So, um, you know, I flew the horse soldiers in, you know, the guys that were portrayed in that movie. Um, mm. Like Chris Hemsworth was in there. He was supposed to play me in the movie, but he played mm. the Green Beret major instead. I guess he, he, was a little, he was a little too short for me anyway. That's but, true. He's too good looking too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But He's uh, ridiculously good looking. I don't know what that yeah. means. Sound like a joke. Well, <laughs> I was invited to the premiere down in uh, Manhattan, 
Mm -hmm. And uh, while I was there, I was talking to an author that was working with that team uh, named Jim DeFelice. He wrote the book American Sniper, which they made a movie of that. Yeah. And he's like, you know, you you tell a good story. Why don't you write a book? And I was thinking, I don't know about that. Right. And he offered to help, which turned out to be smoking cigars and drinking bourbon, which uh, was enough. Yeah. That's always a great way that's to kinda start That's kind of what got me rolling. There you go. If you do that, will you uh, write? It works out pretty well here. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. It depends on if you set your paperwork on fire. Wait, <clears throat> people don't do that anymore. They don't use typewriters. So uh, t- tell us a little about your history. What, what was your upbringing? What got you uh, into uh, being in the military? You know, it's kind of funny. It's the um, the uh, Be All You Can Be commercials back in the oh. 70s. Mm-hmm. So I was in junior high. And those things were running around, you know, on the TV, mm-hmm. all four channels. And uh, I just, they had like three of them that involved helicopters. And I always wanted to fly helicopters. And the Army offered a program at the time called High School to Flight School. Like you graduate high school and put in for Army, you know, flight school and go, right? So I go to the oh. recruiter, you know, and I say, hey, uh, I'd like to fly helicopters. He's like, oh, you know, pump brakes there, Turbo. Uh, it doesn't <laughs> work that way. <laughs> So uh, he said, why don't you join as an aircraft mechanic, you know, kind of learn the culture, the climate, learn something, you know, some of the lingo, and mm-hmm. uh, then put in for flight school, and it's a lot easier. Well, that's a little recruiter spiel, but uh, it turned out to be good advice. There you go. I, uh, I worked on helicopters for nine years and kind of hit a point in the Army where it was time to either get out or move up, and moving up for me was flight school. So I put in for it with the idea that uh, if I didn't get picked up, I'd just get out and I yeah. got, and yeah, I mean, you did, what was it? 35 years? Yeah. 35 years, 11 months. Wow, man. I mean, that, that is a long time to be in the military. Do most people stay that long or do they usually, you, uh, roll out? No, a lot of guys will do their four years or three years and, and get out. And then if they stay, they'll typically get out at 20, which is mm-hmm. what I would have done. Except, uh, you know, uh, 9-11 happened, the war was raging, and I was in a kind of an important position in the special operations community, so I, I didn't want to get out. There you go. And and speaking of 9-11, that's kind of where your book uh, begins. Let's talk about uh, what launches into that. Yeah, okay. So I'm uh, down in um, Louisiana. There's a, mm-hmm. they call it the Joint Readiness Training Center, and that's where sp- special operations forces go to practice. It's a big free play area where you get to use all your tools, you know, all your equipment uh, that you might not be able to use out uh, out and about, but you can use it there because it's restricted area. And uh, I flew the night of the 10th, came back, was kind of trying to sleep in because we were operating at night. And somebody yelled down the hallway, turn on your TV, turn on your TV. And we were staying in one of these old uh, military barracks that have uh, cinder block walls and tile floors. So the noise, you know, just carries. So I was like, you know, shut up. And they're like, no, turn your TV. So I turn it on and obviously there's a tower burning. And I thought, wow, somebody's in trouble, you know, because the Empire State Building had been hit, I think in the thirties with an airplane. Yeah. And I thought, you know, how could that happen? You know, that's busy airspace. But, and you know, about that time, in comes another one. It's like, okay, this is no accident, yeah. you know, and uh, it kind of went from there. Yeah, it was a horrific moment. Uh, I I I had I had lost seventy five thousand dollars off a portfolio of, of of rate drops for a mortgage company, and it became apparent that I had to lock them all. 
And so I spent the night drinking and locking and losing $75,000. You know, one of the things is when you have a portfolio like that, it floats. And until you lock everything in, it's floating. So, you you know, it can go up and down. You know, I've I've lost up to $400,000 on it. Um, And and then you can gain too. But uh, I spent the night drinking. And so this the next morning, I'd been up to like three, just doing all these loans, putting them in the computer, and I'd stayed up till three. And uh, I at seven a.m. I called the the mortgage desk to go, "Hey man, you need to make sure I put all that shit in the computer. Somebody needs to get on it this morning." And uh, they go, "Wall Street's been blown up." Like that's what they told me. I was like, "What?" Uh. And they go, "You need to turn on your television." And so, smashed into <clears throat> the wall of. You know, I can't, I can't have my context in. I, I go down to the TV and I see, I turn on CNN and I see the building on a, a flame and I'm sitting there going, what the fuck? You know, and I'm hungover and just, just not in the best of uh, moods or anything. And then I see that second plane come in live. Yeah. So I'm with you on that. That was, it was extraordinary to watch it live and <laughs> hit that realization that you're like, we're under fucking attack. It was an extraordinary moment. Um, and, and so that, that made you want to stay in the military? Yeah, uh, because, you know, you just got to remember what it felt like right after 9-11. You know, America had come together really in, in a way that it hadn't in a long time and certainly isn't anymore. And uh, we were part of, you heard it called the pointy tip of the spear, if you will, right? And so in the special operations community, we knew we would be part of the response and as a flight lead in the 160th special operations aviation regiment or 160th soar uh i knew i would be uh definitely part of it because there's very few of us amongst the few um in the organization damn damn so where do you go from there once that happens do you get you know uh start gearing up for afghanistan or pretty close i mean uh so we drove back to fort campbell kentucky which is up near nashville and uh, we once we got back, we were able to get on the you know the classified networks and computers and and find out what had happened. And the next day, I was on my way to Tampa, Florida, which is where the Special Operations Command resides. And we drove down in a fifteen passenger van with a bunch of special planners. And uh, initially, our plan was just to go over uh, to Afghanistan to be what they call personnel recovery or PR. So if a mm-hmm. A uh, bomber crew got shot down or had to eject or something, we would go rescue them. And they ended up putting us in a country called Uzbekistan, which is just mm-hmm. to the north of Afghanistan because land, uh, Afghanistan's landlocked. Mm-hmm. And um, we just sat there waiting for someone to screw up. And we were there uh, by October 3rd. So that's how fast we moved. And then we had another task force move to the south on a carrier, the, uh, the uh, Kitty Hawk. Mm-hmm. And were you mostly always fi- f- flying, uh, f- flying the Chinooks? No, I started out flying uh, UH-1 Hueys, like the okay. you saw like in Vietnam. And uh-huh. then uh, I was lucky enough to be the top of my class, and they had two Chinook slots, and I was lucky enough to get one because junior pilots generally didn't fly them back in those mm-hmm. days. And uh, that's how I got it. I actually was mad that I got it because I wanted to do <laughs> assault work, and I thought Chinooks were all um, – you know, moving cargo, which I turned out that wasn't the case. Well, great plug out to your book. You've got a, you've got a quote, uh, reference from general Petraeus. So that's, that's pretty freaking awesome. Now in front of a book. 
Yeah, yeah, I get him and uh, Bill McRaven is is on there. Oh, now. wow. There you go, man. A great endorsement, and you've got wonderful ratings of the book, too, so order it up, people. That's a plug for the book. Um, so uh, what was your most interesting mission as a pilot? Can you tease a little bit out? Yeah, probably. Well, there were a lot of interesting ones, but probably the very first one, which was uh, on October 19th, I brought mm -hmm. the, uh, the horse soldiers in. They, they weren't the horse soldiers at the time. They were uh, ODA 595, which is a designation for a special forces team of 12 Green Berets. Mm -hmm. And that's where the movie 12 Strong comes from. But I flew them in oh. uh, the very first uh, night that we flew and um, encountered some weather conditions that really turned everybody else around. And I was able to continue with just the one Chinook and 12 guys in the back. And oh. we used what was called a terrain following radar or TF. Right. And what that does, is you, you essentially play a little video game in the cockpit. And this video game allows you to climb and descend over mountains at 300 feet when you can't see out the window. Holy crap. Yeah. So it was, uh, that was probably the most interesting. <laughs> and 300 feet, you know, you're, I, I guess you're trying to evade uh, sonar radar, uh, radar and, and so yeah. Well, I mean, it's designed to fly at 100, 300 or 500. And at the time, 500 wasn't certified for use in the clouds because it was brand new. Yeah. And uh, we'd never been allowed to use it for real because it was considered too dangerous oh, because wow. uh, like, is your laptop or your phone ever bricked up on you? Mm -hmm. you had to reset yeah. It? yeah. Well, yeah. imagine the black boxes on a $62 million aircraft doing the same thing. Yeah. And, and one of them is the radar. So <laughs> and you're a hundred feet off the ground. <laughs> right. And so they hadn't yet certified 500 and uh, 100 is really kind of too low. That's really for avoiding radar. So mm -hmm. 300 was really the, just the altitude that it had. Wow. And uh, it allowed it to to see the terrain a little better, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. That's quite a. I mean, you're you're mm. you're you're basically a carrier carrier uh, carrying you know special operators. You're carrying different people in your thing. So you're you're just not a pilot who's responsible for himself flying, you know, an F sixteen fire jet. You have a whole mess of people in the back that you know are on some sort of mission, and 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 your your ability to keep them alive or get them to where they're going or out of where they're going is is everything. What? How do you remain calm and keep focused in issues like that? And uh, what, what does it feel like to have that sort of power? No, I'm just kidding. I mean responsibility. Yeah. Um... You know, what it comes down to is the one thing that the special operations community is famous for is its realistic training. Mm -hmm. And essentially what you end up doing is we would call stress inoculation. Wow. So you put yourself in stressful situations in peacetime in training events uh, so that when you experience it for real, uh, you just, it's kind of muscle memory. And that's really what it was. You know, there's determination, obviously, because 9-11 had just happened. You know, the missions we're doing, we know that if we fail this, I mean, Donald Rumsfeld, the secretary of defense had called down personally to make sure we took off that night because he knew the weather was bad. Wow. And he's like, you have equipment to do it. You do it. Okay. You know, <laughs> so we did, you know, and we encountered some problems along the way, but, uh, we were able to just stay calm because we just, you know, fell back on our training. Now you get home, but home is in back to the Ford operating base. And you kind of get away from the aircraft and you sit down and you try to have a, you know, cup of water or something and you, your hands start to shake a little bit. It's like, really? Okay. That, that sucked. <laughs> You're kind of like, uh, I can't believe I made it through this. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was, uh, yeah, there was, uh, the first couple of weeks we flew every night 
And uh, the, so there were two flight leads, me and another one. We each had two helicopters. And uh, one night after about our third mission, we, we snuck off in a corner and the CIA had given him a bottle of bourbon. <laughs> and um, he's like, Al, come here. I got, I got a little snort, right? So we'd go off alone and we're trying to just decide, you know, are we doing the right thing? You know, you know, what am I doing versus what you doing? You know, and he goes, what do you think, Al? And I said, I think we're going to die in the next flight. And he says, yeah, me too. And we did not expect to live through, because every mission was a little bit different. We encountered a different problem in each one. And we were pushing the aircraft beyond any limit, you know, that we'd ever been allowed to do in peacetime. So it's like, okay, theoretically this should work, you know, but we've never been allowed to, you know, to, to get to these limits. And so we, you know, and we had a lot of ordnance fired at us, meaning uh, uh, heat seeking missiles. We had 16 of them fired at us. I had two fired at me uh, in one day mm-hmm. and uh, we have like flares. You see it in the movies, you know, the, yeah. the missile comes at you, the flares come out and it decoys them, but that still doesn't, you know, make it feel good. <laughs> yeah, not, there's no guarantees on that, you know, no, no, not at all. As yeah. a matter of fact, if they shoot multiple missiles at you at the, with the equipment we had at the time, <laughs> sometimes the sensors, which were like these little eyeballs would uh, get blinded for you know, mm-hmm. 30, 40 seconds. So if you've fired, you know, two in rapid succession, you know, the second one might get you because uh, they don't they don't spit the flares out. But that's it's all crazy. changed. It's better stuff now. <laughs> and then the big thing over there was the uh, was the grenade launchers, the over the shoulder grenade launchers that all those little Iraqis had and Afghanistanis have. So you know they're shooting that crap at you. Oh, they're everywhere. You know, we we had um, I can't even count the number of RPGs or twenty three millimeter cannons fired at us. So twenty three millimeters like a 50, like bigger than a fifty cal. It's like you know that big around the projectile is well wow that big around mm-hmm. but it's about that long wow. it looks like little flaming softballs coming at you <laughs> yeah you see it you see it in the news like when they invaded iraq the first time you know the, the it snakes through the sky oh yeah that's what those were yeah wow yeah note to self stay away from those bullets yeah i don't i don't like flaming snowballs being thrown at me no uh you know, maybe on Friday nights. I don't know. It depends on what we're drinking. Um, so this is quite an extraordinary story. Uh, uh, I guess at one point you were almost shot down or were you shot down? I was shot down. Uh, mm-hmm. March 3rd of 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was part of what was called Operation Anaconda. And that's a long story. But the gist of it is I put these Navy SEALs on the top of a mountain called Tarkargar, mm-hmm. which was later renamed Roberts Ridge. Uh, because we got hit with an RPG and a bunch mm-hmm. of machine gun fire that took all the systems out of the aircraft. So no electricity, no guns. So we couldn't even defend ourselves. And uh, I was able to get off the mountain. But in the process, we lost one of the Navy SEALs. He fell out of the back of the aircraft onto the snow, which was about hip deep. And it was 12,000, almost 13,000 feet in altitude. And uh, I ended up on the ground in a valley below. He's up on the top. My wingman, so I was Razor 03, and that's the call, that's the part of the title. And mm-hmm. Razor 04 came and picked us up, moved us to a safe location, and then took the SEALs back in, which is where uh, two medals of honor were uh, were um, wow. earned. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I, it was funny you, you mentioned the, the, the date. Uh, I guess you never forget your first sh- uh, helicopter shoot down. No, you never forget your first shoot down <laughs> if you live. <laughs> Oh, that, and so you've got all these crazy stories packed in the book where people can read about your adventures and, and everything else. 
Uh, were you ever afraid you were going to die? Uh, maybe when you were shot down, was there ever? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, like I talked in the, in the beginning of the war, I definitely didn't think I'd survive past wow. a mission or two. Uh, when I got shot down, you know, um, once again, training, I was, you know, occupied mentally trying to save the aircraft, you know, and the crew. Mm -hmm. And, um, other than that, I was never, you know, I'd like to say I was never successfully engaged again without intending to be. So, mm -hmm. you know, I got shot at again, but it was like, I knew the bad guy. It was usually what we call a Kazavak. You know, you come in to get somebody that's been shot and you know, there's, you know, machine guns, RPGs, and, uh, yeah, you don't know that you're going to make it, but you're going to try because you're going to try to save that guy's life. Mm. And then once you get out of there, you know, the adrenaline is just flowing and you just, once again, training kicks in and you just, you do what you got to do. And then later on you can sit there and say, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> it is it, was it hard to transition after all those years and two wars back to being a civilian? Yeah. You know? I, I'll tell you, there was a little, a bit of a process there because, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the title of the book, Razor Zero Three, A Night Stalker's Wars, is like a little bit of a play on words in that, you know, I was in Desert Storm I was in uh, some other operations that I don't talk about. I was in, you know, Enduring Freedom, which was Afghanistan, and uh, Iraqi Freedom, which was Iraq. Uh, so that's one set of wars. And the other was my wife at the time had a prescription opioid addiction. Oh, my God. And so it, as, as the years went by, it got worse and worse, and we were mm -hmm. trying to hide it. And we were trying to deal with it. She went to rehab, and uh, she ended up dying in, oh, no, uh, I'm sorry. in 2012. Yeah. But it's one of those things we were kind of on the cutting edge, I'd like to say, of the current, uh, you know, prescription opioid addiction uh, epidemic. But anyway, when she died, the organization I was in, the Night Stalkers, offered some some very nice opportunities for me, trying to take care of me. And I said, you know, I I need a I need to change a venue because mm -hmm. everywhere I look is kind of a sad memory because either yeah. it was happy and now I don't have it or it was sad because it was bad. And I went up to New York to Manhattan and I unveiled a statue that's currently at uh, Ground Zero, which mm -hmm. is called America's Response. And it's a, a green beret on the back of a horse representing the horse soldiers. And while I was up in New York, uh, a job opened up at West Point as the flight detachment commander for West Point. So I would fly a couple of helicopters up there and I threw my name in the hat. And I, I got it and uh, did three years there. And now the reason I, I go into that is because, you know, as a flight lead in the 160th, you are, you live by the news, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you watch the news and you see an event, it's like, how does that affect me? Should I look that up? You know, and you start digging into the encyclopedias. What's the climate in country X, you know, and you get to West Point. It's like, well, what's the temperature in DC, you know, or what's the temperature at Notre Dame or Notre Dame, you know, the, uh, college and because you're flying the superintendent around and the parachute team and things like that. But, um, I'd like to say, you know, in the special operations community, you get the stresses up here and mm -hmm. at West point, it was like down here, but it wasn't like just a straight out transition would be down like this. And a lot of guys don't do well with that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as the, the responsibility I had there at West point, I'd like to say it was just enough stress to kind of keep me going, met my current wife the cadets I worked with were just amazing. Kind of gave me back my positive attitude, you know, that I'd lost with all the, mm -hmm. uh, the op opioid addiction stuff. And it just so happened I ended up meeting our county executive who uh, needed an emergency manager, and I had all the certifications for it. And uh, I worked with him on an air show, you know, creating it. And uh, he's like, "Hey, you know, I don't have a helicopter, but um, I've got uh, I got a job for you if you want it." I was like, "Well, what mm -hmm. is it? Anything to do with emergencies?" And he's like. 
Yeah, as a matter of fact, it does. So I ended up as a deputy commissioner of emergency services for Orange County, New York. And uh, that's a lot like the military. So I've had a very, very easy uh, transition. I have friends who have not done so well. Yeah. You know, a couple of suicides and a couple of guys that just, that, you know, they're still not doing well. But uh, I turned out pretty good. You know? <laughs> good. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, the suicide rate of, uh, of uh, veterans is way too high. Yeah, and uh, we've had uh, different authors on that have talked about it, uh, PTSD and things of that nature. Did you know uh, at the, uh, I, I don't know how well you knew people over there at the uh, West Point, we had Dr. Nate Z Zinzer on the show? I don't know him. No. Okay. Yeah. It's a big place I hear. <laughs> yeah. If he owed me money or something, I would know. Yeah, if he owed you money, you'd probably remember. Yeah. Well, it's good that you come. You know, uh, the other thing a lot of my friends that have been in the military talk about that, that went back for three or four tour, tours of duty on um uh, in iraq was they missed the brotherhood and the and the purpose yeah. the sense of purpose you know and uh they're just like i feel so alone here but when i go back there i have a band of brothers i have people that they're loyal to me i'm loyal to them they have my back uh, i have my back and they, they it's really hard for them to make the transition to being yeah back here you know uh, i don't i'm sorry to cut you off the uh you know people ask me all the time do you miss you know, flying. And the answer is a simple, no, I don't really miss flying. I miss the missions, right? Uh -huh. I mean, we, we were going after the baddest of bad people. I mean, we were in the unit that got Bin Laden and oh, wow. Zarqawi and, you know, things like that. And it's the people, it's exactly what you're saying. It's the people you're doing that mission with that make all the difference. You know, I mean, there were times I was overseas and the guy that was going to replace me, you know, his, his wife had a baby. And he, mm -hmm. he called me up and he's like, Al, could you, I hate to ask you this. I know you've been there four months already, but could you stay an extra couple of weeks, you know? And so I could spend some time with a new baby. And I was like, nah, I'll take, you know, uh, two more months, you know, I give him, you know, another couple of months. And these were things in the early days that you just did because we always thought we were going to get Bin Laden. Mm -hmm. You know, we always kind of knew he was across the border in a certain area, you know, just not the house. And, mm -hmm. uh, you never wanted, you didn't really want to go home because you were afraid the guy that replaced you would get him, you know, <laughs> but it turns out the guy that awesome. got him, the guy that got him was the guy that used to replace me. Wow. Yeah. That is, that is awesome. Well, it's a joint effort, man. Yeah. We're, we're all in it. And guy, that guy hid really well for a long time. I was so relieved that the night that broadcast and oh, oh, Obama got on the, on the telly and said, we got him. It yeah. was, uh, I don't it know what it was, <laughs> you know, the, the thing was, is it, it, uh, nine 11 really fucking changed me. You know, seeing that same vision on TV that you did with that second plane coming in live, that, that, that fucking scarred me. And I did not feel fully healed or, uh, what was it? Fully reconciled until he was dead. And I don't know why call it. Some psychologists can figure out what the fuck that's all about. But yeah. Well, it's good. It's good for people like you who stand between us and the bad guys, because uh, this country wouldn't be what it is uh, without you folks. So we certainly appreciate your tour of duty and everything you did for this country. And and uh, without you, I mean, who knows where we'd be as a democracy, as a country? We'd probably oh, still be. We'd probably be sitting around watching the uh, the king's coronation there. <laughs> we could be. We could be. What do they call the Fourth of July? Happy Traders Day. <laughs> Traders Day. Well, I'm going to be a trader. I watched some of that King's Coronation. I'm like, nah, now nah, I see what our father, founding fathers were like. So this is stupid and boring. 
I don't know. It's not stupid. It is stupid. Anyway, uh, anything more you want to tease out of the book before we go, Alan? Um, well, there's just there's a lot of stories in there. Um, most of these are stories that were somewhere on the news at, at the time, and wow. we attributed these to other people, so we didn't take credit for it. So you're getting it from my perspective, and I just signed a contract for a second book. There you go. So um, got a, just now outlining it, getting ready to go, and uh, it was a lot of fun writing it, the whole process, and, and I'm getting to go out and uh, speak and stuff. But, you know, get the book. It's on hardcover, Kindle, and audiobook, which I uh, narrated. There you go. Maybe you can get the uh, Pentagon to pry open some of those classified missions. You can tell us the stories. That'd I'm hoping. I'm hoping. You know, cool. especially Run as time it. goes by. So that or do a novel and like basically uh, base the characters on. Uh, I think somebody did that. Anyway, I don't know. I don't want to get you in trouble with the Pentagon. <laughs> yeah, they did. They scrutinized the book pretty good. Did they? They gave yeah. it a good look. It took, well, it took them nine months. Yeah. There you go. Wow. Wow, nine yeah. months to look at it. Uh, they read really slow over there. Yes. No, it's supposed to take 60 days. Yeah. Well, you know, they got they got some other stuff going on. That with that whole Russian war thing, that's a whole other thing there. But uh, hopefully that mm -hmm. stays down so you can just stay home. And, and uh, are you retired now, fully retired? Well, other than I work for the county. So retired oh, from yeah. the military, yeah. There you go. Now you're just writing military books, which is a good gig. Well, <laughs> thanks for coming on, Alan. Alan, we really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. This was fun. Thank you. Uh, give us your .com so we can find you on the interwebs, please. Yeah, alancmac.com. That's A-L-A-N-C-M-A-C-K. And there you uh, go. Also, you can give me on Instagram, alancmac2015. And uh, I would like some followers. <laughs> please get some followers. He's got amazing <laughs> reviews on the book. He's got some great brand names. Go to Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. Order it up. Razor 03, I should mention. It's not just Razor 3. It's Razor 03. Uh, a Night Stalker's Wars by Alan C. Mack. Order it where fine books are sold. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time. And that's it.